Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be amongst your people. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to wash us from our sins, to cleanse us, and to make us part of the gathering of your people. We give you thanks today that we can worship and celebrate Jesus Christ as King of glory, as Lord of all. We pray, Father, that his word would transform our hearts so we're not conformed to this world, but we're renewed in our thinking, in our mind, so that we can align ourselves up with the blessing, with the prosperity, and the success that you would have us participate. We pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts, that would bring forth good fruit and a harvest that would glorify your name. We give you thanks that your word is a lamp unto our feet so that we not stumble. It's a double-edged sword that is better than any surgery we could be a part of today. Uh, surgery cannot, as of yet, heal depression, but your double-edged sword could remove selfishness from our hearts and we could be restored and renewed and reconciled with the peace of God and his joy in our hearts. So prosper your word in our lives and add your blessing to it, Lord. Anoint your word that it would be forceful and it would find its way into our hearts. As we spoke last week, that there's nothing more desperate and wicked than the heart of man. So we pray that there you would give us a new heart that would obey your word and have hunger and, righteousness, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. We give you thanks that your word does not return void, but that which you send it out to do, it does well. And we shall see fruits of it in our lives. Uh, prosper your church in all nations, O oh God, in all cities. Allow them to grow and you add to their numbers those that are to be saved. We give you thanks for your Holy Spirit that gives us conviction and forms our character by reminding us of these things. Bless your word and prosper it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Um, a lot of people think that God has changed the course of his instruction throughout history so that God starts one way and he ends up another. But uh, the, those of us that know God and see his heart from beginning to end, he's the same God. And Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us the course of God for this life. And you read it with me. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Uh, we change. We are like chameleons. Um, we change ever so the atmosphere we're in, we could even say hallelujah, real good here, really holy, hallelujah. But then out there, just enough change in circumstances and we'll be saying other words. But Jesus Christ is the same. And God the Father is the uh, expression of, of every attribute that he desires for man. In, in Genesis um, 128, the Lord created man to be a blessing upon the earth. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. 
Here we're scared about ISIS, a little group of thugs that are going around doing all sorts of evil, terrorizing the land. But the truth of the matter is that God created man to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. In what expression? Verse 26. It's in the likeness and the image of God. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We've lost that. We've lost that character substance. Um, I would love to see the expression of a man walking as a servant upon the earth. That's what God created as he created man in his image and likeness. Uh, a servant, fast to serve. We have come so far that God has had to come for us now. Uh, Matthew 4:19. This is the introduction of Jesus Christ. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he said these words in Matthew 4:19, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you follow my example, if you're able to imitate my steps, if you become just like me, you will be a blessing to men. And we're not following Jesus, and we have become followers of men. Uh, it's amazing how quick... Uh, we can have all these brand names and we're like, oh, you got to go try one of these Gucci purses. You got to go try one of these Valentino haircuts. You got to try one of the uh, whatever the name is. But you've become a follower of men and you promote all that is twisted upon the earth. But no, we're to follow God. And the invitation is come follow me so that I will make you then that which men will follow. Uh, Fishers of men. You'll be going after men. Matthew 28, 19. How does a man who is selfish, who is ignorant, who is distant and disconnected from God, come back to himself and become a servant? The example is the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes back to his father and he says, make me like one of your servants. I'm full of stupidity, foolishness, selfishness. I've lost everything. I'm hanging out with the pigs, eating pig slop, surrounded by flies. I want to change my reality. And this is the process. It's called discipleship. Where Jesus said this right after he raised from the dead, he went to his disciples and said, therefore, go. What's the opposite of go? Stay. Where you're not going. You're staying put. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. This process of becoming a servant is first being a disciple. The word disciple uh, some people say come from the word discipline, disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's the first thing that a, a disciple does uh, in the process of discipleship. You baptize somebody. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it is said that to be a disciple is the process of becoming a servant. And the servant of all servants is who? Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I'm here washing your feet. 
And so go and make disciples, baptizing them. Uh, as we look into the word, this uh, baptizing, I want to go to Galatians 3.27. Why baptizing? As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on the clothings of Christ. You, you started obeying those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. So as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're starting to put on the garments of servants, of, of being those uh, set apart to mark this world as not only becoming like Jesus Christ, but then you are the example. How, how are those people that are upon the earth going to become servants unless they are discipled, unless they have seen a disciple? And go to back to Matthew 28, 19. Uh, this instruction is not given to a, 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 just a, a normal set of men, but to all men. Go and make disciples of all nations. You can't make a disciple unless you are a disciple. Baptizing them. That, 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 is, that is huge. Baptism. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, As you baptize them, say with me the word teach. Teach, teach. That's a process of learning is you have to be taught. And those that are taught will begin to observe all things. To teach them to observe all things. The teaching is the instruction that we would do up here. The observing is that which you are careful to practice. So the, a disciple is a two-way process. He's learning something and he's doing it. The fact that you learn it makes you a potential devil. Because the devil knows the whole word of God. But he doesn't do it. He's a rebel. Uh, he hears about baptism and he says, hey, that's very interesting. And he never gets baptized. Uh, a true disciple hears about baptism, understands it, and goes and does it. And in the Bible, there is no baptism of children. Uh, Jesus got baptized when he was 30 years old. A time where you can repent. A child cannot repent. He's a child. You say, hey, stop. Stop what you're doing. And he has no conscience. He cannot. So I was baptized as a child, eight weeks old, and I didn't know what the heck was going on. They were just passing me around. But when I was 22 years old, uh, I went and, and I did the baptism. I, I learned what I repented. I said, Lord, sorry. I'm going to go and be obedient. I'm going to get baptized in water. So he says, go and tell them, uh, teach them to observe, teach them, and then observe all things that I've commanded you. And I will be with you. This is, this, is the, this is the proof evidence that you're a true disciple. Jesus is with you wherever you go, even to the end of the age. That means you're beginning connected. A disciple is connected to Jesus uh, the rest of his life. And we're going to see some words here that make it for a little bit of difficulty. Because the life of a disciple will cost you your life. It's not, a disciple is not someone that just goes to church. Disciple is committed unto life. And, and we'll see some of these things. But I, I want to read um, 
My notes say the training of a disciple is to learn and to put into practice. Where, where you are coming to church and you're learning, but you're doing it when you're out there. If when you come and you learn and out there you live like you used to live, you're not a disciple. Uh, you might be part of the multitude that followed Christ, but we're going to see that a disciple is a learner. That's what the word disciple means. It literally means a learner. Um, one who follows the teachings of another. A disciple was not only a learner, he was an adherent. That means that he did what his master taught him. Um, for this reason, disciples were spoken of those who would imitate their master, their rabbi, whoever they were following. Luke 6.40, Jesus explains it like this. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained as a disciple will be like his teacher. To be a disciple means that you are manifesting Christ's character. This is not something new. This is what God wanted from man from the beginning. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and likeness. But we've come so far, we consider it a weird thing to now uh, be made in the image and likeness of our master, teacher, and rabbi named Jesus. Everyone who is perfectly trained to be like his teacher will be a disciple. Let's go back to Luke 6.40. Perfect training. Talking about maturity. Every time the New Testament talks about perfect, it's talking about you're no longer a child. You're no longer ignorant. You're mature. And you're being trained to be like your teacher. In other words, a disciple is one who thinks who talks and who walks like his God. Thinks, walks, and talks like his God. Um, this world has no uh, words of flattery, no words of praise for those that will be a disciple of Christ because they'll say they're brainwashing you. You used to be normal. You used to hang out with us and think everything was okay. Yeah, well, guess what? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ now. I'm walking differently. Uh, Paul talked about this discipleship program with men upon the earth in Acts 22.3. Paul talks about following a man named Gamaliel. It was a Jewish custom. Uh, the first couple of years of your life, from 1 to 10, you were supposed to be trained up in your house. Your father was your example to honor God. He was to teach you about God. You were to see how he lived, and, and that would be your teaching. And when you were 10, 11, and 12, uh, in the times of Paul, they would take you down and introduce you to a man of God. And there's where Paul is saying this. He says, I am indeed a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Sicily, Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. I was sitting at his feet, literally following his life. From the moment he woke up in the morning, he had breakfast, he went to temple and prayed, he had lunch. I was following carefully the feet of this man. And he taught. See, there it is. He's at the feet and he taught me according to the 
strictness of our Father's law. He was teaching me everything it was to be wise according to the Word of God. Um, and I was zealous toward God as you all are today. I, I just have a question for you this morning. If we just became disciples of Jesus, who was discipling us before Jesus? Who were the feats that we were imitating, learning, and following to dishonor God, to be ignorant about God, to not worship God? And, and so if you see in my life, it wasn't until I was in college that I began to um, decide to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Decided to want peace and joy and righteousness in my life. And so there it is. It says in Romans 8.29... That it has always been the Father's desire to, from who, for whom he foreknew. He knew us from our mother's womb. He also had the predestined desire, calling to be conformed to the image of his son. From the beginning, he created us to be in the image and likeness of God. We have departed from that road. Uh, we look more like the Marlboro Man. How many remember the Marlboro Man? Tough guy, saddle on his back, and smoking cigarettes. At the end of his life, he sues Marlboro because he got uh, lung cancer. And he goes, you guys didn't tell me that part. Um, uh, the Bud Light, uh, the party dog, Bud Light, Bush, uh, all the... We're, we're being discipled by everybody and their mother and, and not being conformed to the image of son. When we start... Wanting to be like Jesus, taking that serious. I want to suggest to you, discipleship is being like Jesus for real. Not just at church. Not because you say you're part of a religious gathering. No, no, your life, inside and out, is being conformed. You guys see that right there? To be conformed to the image of His Son. So that Jesus is the firstborn amongst many brethren that come afterwards. So this process of discipleship, um, you cannot seriously say you're a disciple unless you have a strong desire to be like Jesus. Uh, thus, when I was in my last year of high school and I would tell everybody about Jesus that had come into my heart, everybody was calling me one of two things, little antichrist or little Jesus. They were making fun of me, but they knew that I was walking like the Lord wanted me to walk. And, and so that, that becomes persecution style right there. But back in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, here is the secret of what it is to be a disciple. The real, I mean, this, this is the DNA of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Ready? Let's read it together. He says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of someone who's learned, the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. If you are being taught to live right, to speak right, he awakens me Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned, as the wise. As, as men that now 
We're different. Why? We think different. We speak different. We have different priorities. Uh, maybe money was a priority for us in the past. Maybe popularity was. Maybe um, some political interest. But as soon as we become a disciple, our only desire is to be taught by the Spirit of God. Amen. That the Spirit of God would speak to us and that we would have, it says, so we know how to speak. I don't know about you. I still remember how I used to speak. Uh, I still often have to apologize to people for how I used to speak. Horrible. Uh, they say, like an open sewer, the floodgates of hell coming out of my mouth with every sort of disgusting, wicked, twisted, perverted words. I marvel still at the men who, who go around telling dirty jokes and they can't memorize a Bible verse. They know all the dirty jokes, but they cannot have the word in season to him who is weary. We know how to offend. We know how to curse. We know how to insult. But a disciple is him who knows how to speak. Um, I, I, I fool you not that every other word in my conversation and language before Jesus Christ was a curse word, was an offense, was a dirty word, was something twisted, something that provoked wrath. And so as we grow in discipleship, our words um, are learned, we're taught how to know how to speak a word in season, not just anything out of our mouth. And we could do a train wreck in a second. No, a disciple is him who learns how to carefully word his conversations. He awakens me, the Spirit of God, morning by morning, speaking to my ear to hear as a wise man, as one who is decided. How, how many see that to be a blessing uh, as you transfer over to the life of a man who no longer is speaking your own words, your own wisdom? Uh, you're not perpetuating the curse of the past, the cultural traditions of our forefathers who did not speak as the Spirit of God would lead them. A disciple is one willing to listen and to be an obedient heart. John 8, 31, Jesus said like this, And he said to those Jews who had believed in him, I'm glad that you believe in me. John 8, 31. I'm glad that you believe in me. That's good. It's good that you, that you acknowledge my existence. But one thing is to acknowledge my existence. Another thing is to be my disciple. A lot of people know that God exists, but there are not many disciples. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. So to believe in God, anybody believes in God. The multitudes, we're going to see that now. The multitudes were following Christ. But to be his disciple was to stay in contact with his word. You are my disciples if you obey, abide in my word. Um, a diligent student of the words of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells Timothy, show yourself approved. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. How? You're not needing to be ashamed about anything because you rightly divide the word of truth. You're not playing with the word of God. You're doing what the word of God says when the word of God says it. You're not playing. You're not twisting it. There in Deuteronomy 6 verse 1, it was the 
intent of God in the early uh, years. This is the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1, he says, Now this is the commandment. These are the statutes and judgment which the Lord your God is commanding you, has commanded to teach you. That you may observe, see, teach and observe. That's a combination of learning and doing them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. Verse 2, what for? So you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his commandments and his statutes which he commands you today. To you, your son, your grandson. Uh, in our family, uh, my grandfather forgot, my father forgot, and I, I grabbed on at the end there. So that I'll teach my sons and my grandsons. They'll be disciples of the Lord all the days of your life. All the days uh, that your days may be prolonged. A disciple has a long life promised to him. Verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe. What for? Why do we have to listen to these things? That it may well be well with you. Prosperity. That you may multiply greatly. You'll be a great nation, a mighty people, as the Lord your God, the, of, the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 4, he says, Hear Israel, the Lord God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, with your strength. In verse 6, he says, And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. Remember the difference between being a disciple and being a religious man? A religious man wears his religion. A disciple allows the word and the spirit of God to pierce his heart. These words I command you shall be in your heart. Not worn as a religion. Not worn as an outward appearance. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Everybody say in your house. That's different than this house. In your house you shall talk to your children. And when you walk by the way, you're driving down the street. When you lie down and are going to bed. When you rise up early at the breakfast table. This is the topic of conversation. Verse 8. You're going to bind them as a sign on your hand. As a frontlets between your eyes. And verse 9. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Every morning, my boys go over to the restroom, and they'll stand before the toilet, and they'll look up, and there's a psalm written right there. And it says that um, it's Psalm 119, 165. This is what they read every morning when they're going to their first divine appointment. They're standing before the toilet, and they read these words. 165, I mean 119, 165. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace. Have those who love your law. Nothing shall cause them to fall. You need a good psychiatrist for this, my friend. You need the word of God or you need a good psychiatrist. And if you have the word of God and it's before you, like the Bible says in Genesis, I mean Deuteronomy 6, where you're reading verse 9, you shall write them all over your house, on your doorpost and on your gates. Write down the word of God. When my mom became a Christian, she was the first one in our family to become a Christian. She started writing all the Bible verses and she'd put them on the dashboard of her car, on the dash, on the windows, of, on her mirrors, on the, on the kitchen cabinet. She was posting the word of God everywhere. And that made all the difference in the world. 
Because before that time, all we heard uh, were uh, the traditions of our forefathers. Alabar Gieres and what's this guy with the stars? Um, Walter McDowell and all the crazy nuts. But when you start posting the word of God, the word of God begins to prosper you. You go see verse 10. He says why he wants you to do this. He says, so that it will be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you swore to give you large, beautiful cities. A beautiful city starts with children that are raised at home with the word of God. And when you take the word of God out, we don't have beautiful cities. We have Baltimore. We have uh, Charleston, South Carolina. We have Lafayette, Louisiana. No words of life, but the proliferation of death. There's no word. So to be a disciple guards you for a beautiful city. Verse 11. Your houses will be full of good things. Houses Say with me, fool. God is not a scanty God. He is a fool God. He's an abundant God. Full of all good things which you did not do for yourselves. You did not dig these wells. You did not uh, plant these vineyards. This is God. If you are pursuing Him as a true disciple. Verse 17, He says He will also... Deliver you from your enemies. Discipleship diligently keeping the commands of the Lord your God. And his statutes which he has commanded you. Verse 19. To cast all your enemies from before you. To be a disciple is to be a warrior for Christ. To overcome all demons that are coming after you. To cast out, say with me, all. All your enemies. And so there it is in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, the invitation that God gives to you to become a disciple. And when he chooses you, listen, listen to these words carefully, ready? Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's discipleship. Discipleship is being with the Lord. Walking with the Lord. And then he would send them out to preach so that they would raise up other disciples. Um, Acts 4.13, you'll notice that these people were not university quality uh, champions. But they says like this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that the disciple Peter and the disciple John were uneducated and untrained. They didn't have normal training. They didn't go to the best schools. But one thing they did have in their boldness, they realized that they had been with Jesus. And that's one thing that no one can deny a true disciple. A true disciple is a champion wherever he goes. Why? He has been with Jesus. He has learned Jesus. He hears Jesus. He obeys Jesus. He's walking to honor Jesus. Matthew 7, 21, it says, don't think that everyone is like this. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. It's tremendous that uh, many on that day, verse 22, says many 
will say to me in that day, Lord, didn't we do this? We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We did wonders and miracles in your name. Didn't we do these things? And he says, yeah, you did a whole bunch of things. The only thing is that you weren't with me. Verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. You weren't a learner. You didn't observe my ways. You didn't follow my teachings. Depart from me. You have an appearance that everything is good on the outside, but your heart was divorced. Mark 10, 21, a young man comes to him and says, what do I have to do to be your disciple? And Jesus looked at him with love. We're reading Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, one thing that you're missing, go and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have great treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and be one of my followers. Verse 22 he was sad at Jesus' words and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Verse 23, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the uh, kingdom of God. And then verse 26, they were greatly astonished, saying to themselves, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? And he said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, um, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. And then one of the disciples, verse 28, Peter stood up, Peter era tremendo, a tremendous guy here, and he says, hey, look, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. We, we're true disciples. And Jesus told him the mark of that. He answered, I say to you, there is not one who has left a house, brothers, sisters, father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Verse 30, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and lands with persecutions and the age and in the age to come eternal life. A disciple has great things to look forward to. In John chapter 6, verse 66, as Jesus taught these words of what it was to be a disciple, you can say with me, it's not an easy thing, because from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. I've walked with people who have been disciples for one year and then went back. I've been with people who've walked for two years and went back. I've went with people that went to be disciples for three, five, seven, ten years. And the day comes where following Jesus becomes too hard and they go back. And this is the saddest verse in the whole Bible. Do you notice the three, uh, the three numbers? 666. It's the saddest verse for me and in the entire Bible that somebody that would be following Jesus would say, guess what? We want to be on this side more than on your side. We'd rather hold on. And it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And he turns around and tells his other disciples, how about you? Verse 67. Jesus turns to the twelve. Do you also want to go away? And this is, this is the verse we have to answer. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have words of eternal life. Only you have words of life. 
To be a disciple is not an imposition. To be a disciple is a voluntary surrender. Nobody could force you to be a disciple, and you're not to force anybody to be a disciple. A disciple is one who lays down his own life and decides to follow Jesus, pick up the cross. Mark 10, 42, Jesus says to them, you know that amongst those, you know that those who are considered the top dogs over the worldly affairs, they force themselves to lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority. If you're not going to follow me, I'll throw you in jail. If you're not going to follow me, whatever, you get punished. But Jesus says, not so amongst you. Verse 43, to be a disciple in the kingdom is not to be forced. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. Verse 44, and whoever of you desires to be at the top must voluntarily submit himself to the bottom to be a slave of all. Verse 44, 45. For even so the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and that's Jesus. Um, and, and the epitome of this is found in John 13, 35. Uh, By this they will know that you're my disciple. You no longer live selfishly. You no, no longer hide your money. You no longer hide your personal interests. You lay down your life. It says, for even so, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. But watch John 13, 35. He says, this is the true fruit of my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. When you begin to love one another. When you begin to lay down your life for the interests of others. So if some people don't understand. Hey, Joaquin, you used to be uh, this. You used to go here. You, I don't go where I used to go. I don't hang where I used to hang. I left all to follow Jesus. I left all. And not, that doesn't make me poor. It doesn't make me miserable. It makes me a disciple of Jesus Christ. It makes me a follower of his footsteps. Imitating him. And so I invite you to stand this morning because as we read, Abraham's life was a life dedicated to being a servant in his sphere of influence. You too, my friend, do not be ashamed of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed of standing to follow him in words, in deeds, being close to his word, loving his ways. He says... There's a Bible verse right there. It's super important. I want to... This, is, this was the constant battle in the lives of all those that follow Jesus Christ. It's Luke 14, 33. Unless you're willing to give up everything in every direction, you're not going to be able to be a disciple of the Lord. Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, all that he has cannot be my disciple. Um, this is a personal pursuit. 
The Bible says that in some families, the husband will decide to be a disciple and the wife will not. In other families, it will be the wife that wants to be a disciple and the husband doesn't want to be. In some families in our church, it's often that the children desire not to live the nightmarish reality of their parents' past. So they want to be disciples, but their parents don't. There's a young man that was coming to our church years ago, and his parents says, I would rather you be a drunkard and a pothead and go do cocaine and marijuana than you'd be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To a daughter, they said, I'd rather you be a prostitute and a whore. I'd rather you uh, be destitute and of ill repute than you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So all these things are going every which way. But the heart of each one decides whether they're going to take a step to becoming a true servant of God. That's the process of discipleship. As you forsake your ways and the ways of this world and the traditions of men to turn towards the process of hearing the voice of God, obeying the voice of God, doing the voice of God, and then holding yourself out to say, you know something, I'm a discipleship. I'm in training to become a servant so that I can fulfill Matthew 28, verse 19. I can't, I can't get to this verse until first I lay down my life. How could I ever go to make disciples and baptize them when I'm not a disciple, I haven't gone through the process, I'm not a servant, I haven't been discipled, I'm not observing, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded so that the company, that connection with God is there to the end of the age. And so we have in present day, our generation, a multitude of people, but very few disciples. Very few servants of God. And the Spirit of God is bringing us to this reality. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that we are being changed. This is the transformation that's taking place. If you were to take off the veil and look in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, we see His reflection. We're being transformed into His same image from glory to glory through the Spirit of the Lord. That's, that's the voice that's crying out this morning. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for clarity in times of confusion. Thank you for light in the midst of darkness. Thank you for truth in the midst of lies. Thank you for certainty in times of deception. We pray, O oh God, that your spirit would continue to minister your word in the hearts of your people and that they might be transformed from glory to glory, that they might be prepared to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that you have commanded so that you would be with us even to the end of the age. We pray that you would lead our steps in this direction, that there would be a submissive, uh, humble, humility, meekness mindset in us that was also in Christ who took the form of a servant and was given a name of all names. We pray your blessing upon every family here. We give you thanks for every leader of the family that he might be an example of a champion disciple of Jesus Christ. 
learning and observing everything that's found in the Word of God. Teach us, Father God, to be unselfish, to be able to serve the nations, O God, in your perfect will. We pray that you would bless and prosper us so that we might live according to your instruction and that our light should shine in the midst of darkness. We pray in the powerful and merciful name of Jesus Christ, the people of God say amen and amen and amen. God bless one another.